When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Covid bus at present, but... Uh... Should be, should be clear pretty soon. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's 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 just a pain in the butt. Yeah, you know, we 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 we're tough, Kevin, because we both had man flu during our life, Indeed. and uh, yeah, we're well prepared for for such eventualities. But uh, yeah, the the worst thing is having to miss uh, Brighton versus Norwich, and oh. the best thing is being able to miss Brighton versus Norwich. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a bit ahead of you, so I'm about to ring the bell at the request stop uh, to get off the COVID bus. Uh, basically, um, and hopefully we'll both be uh, well and happy because we're recording a day early this week because we've got a, a proper game to go to tomorrow, Kieran. We're, we're treating ourselves to the Papa John's final. That's right. Yeah, well, Sutton United is uh, your, your neck of the woods, really, isn't it? Uh, it's very close to us, yeah. I'm really pleased. It's, it's great news for them. Yeah, yeah, look forward to that. Really look forward to that, yes. Unless, of course, uh, my gal-lighter son, Ed, allows me... <laughs> out of the house it's, it's 15 days in even by the old metric we're fine um, <clears throat> it's not 15 days actually it's 10 because then people who went to the live show might be really worried that we were super spreading <laughs> <laughs> we weren't it was several days after that that uh, Kieran and I both tested positive on the same day which is uh, not a good sign we are definitely spending too much time together even remotely yes. <laughs> uh, it's a question we, uh, are we doing a pod here Kieran we are aren't we Yes, we are. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is basically passing the time until three o'clock so we can go and listen to the football. And uh, you've done that thing that I don't approve of, Kieran. Just, uh, you've decided not to go to Norwich Brighton, as you said, but you've done you've done something, Kieran, that I really can't I can't say I approve of putting a pound on Norwich to to win. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's, this is referred to uh, in technical terms as an emotional hedge. Um, <laughs> you had me worried then, Kieran, because I know what it's referred to in technical terms, and uh, we really wouldn't be winning a BAFTA if you use that expression. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, so so Nor- Norwich is seven to one to beat Brighton. So whilst uh, you know neither of us are, are big gamblers, uh, as when, when I have spoken to professional gamblers, they said always look for value. Well, for a side that has scored once in six games, um, which is Brighton over Albion, uh, to uh, to have, to have opponents who are seven to one to beat them, uh, is seems to me like value. It does, seem, and, and yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Well, that's the accountant in you talking, Kieran. Uh, it's a huge game for Everton uh, tomorrow. Uh, which, mm-hmm. by the time you listen to this pod, everybody will be yesterday, Sunday. Um, we we know they've got issues, Kieran, but they posted losses this week. Huge numbers, Kieran. Big numbers. They, they were a, a massive talking point across most uh, TV and radio football shows in the last couple of days because these are big numbers, Kieran, aren't they? That's right. Everton. Uh, Everton have managed to lose 121 million pounds in 2021, 
which takes their three-year cumulative loss. Uh, and the reason why this is important is because that forms the basis for the profitability and sustainability stroke FFP calculations. So it takes the three years of losses to 373 million. And people might be saying to themselves, hold on, I, th- I thought I thought the rules were there to stop clubs making crazy losses and weren't their limits. And, and the limit um, is 105 million. So you might be saying, well, hold on, if you're only allowed to lose 105 and you've lost 373, surely something a bit strange is going on. So, and, and this is where Everton uh, start start coming out with a few, few interesting numbers. So uh, Everton have claimed that COVID has cost them 170 million quid yeah. in the last two years. Yeah. And I'm going, well, that... Seems quite a lot because, you know, as much much as I love Goodison Park, it it only generates around about seven hundred and fifty eight hundred grand a match, yeah. uh, in terms of ticket sales. So, anyway, how, how do you get from there to to one hundred and seventy million? They, they sort of came up with a few other things, and they said, "Oh, yeah," uh, and, and we and we would have sold some players and uh, made a lot of money selling those players, but uh, COVID, uh, I think the technical phrase is, took the arse out of the market. Yeah. Um, and then I think, well, okay, I'll, that, that does seem a bit excessive. What are other clubs doing um, who have also published their accounts recently? So let's just get this right. Everton are saying that COVID cost them £170 million. Um, Sheffield United, who were in the Premier League for the last two seasons, remember, said COVID cost them £21. Yeah. Now, is, there, is Everton a bigger club than Sheffield United? No disrespect to Sheffield United. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we 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 know. You know, Everton's been there longer. Um, so, is there perhaps a, a better benchmark we could use? So, I went into the Villa accounts, and you know, think about Aston Villa ground capacity, roughly the same. You know, Goodison and Villa Park. Um, you know, big investment in players and so on. Villa only. Villa are saying their COVID losses are fifty six. So, if we've got Sheffield United twenty one, Villa fifty six. How Everton get to 170 mm. is is another matter, but they they, they seem adamant that uh, it really hit them in terms of uh, when they're trying to get rid of players. And I I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this isn't a football show, but I, I think there are some fans of of many clubs, including those of Everton, who say the reason why we didn't get huge prices for some of the players we've sold is because that. We sold a bunch of duck. We we bought yeah. players who yeah. turned out to be not quite as good as we thought. Um, so um, Everton are saying that they are in conversation with the Premier League, and they've got a good relationship. And, and I think the fear uh, has been that there that there could be charges, that there could be sanctions, and those sanctions conceivably could involve points deductions. Now. My view is that yeah, we're into April. It's far too late yeah. to to have such charges, uh, which would result in points deductions this season. And also, by the time you um, collate, by the time you collate the evidence, by the time you convene a committee to make these decisions and then come up with a judgment, I think we would be into next season. And even if uh, even if it was done quicker, uh, and, and if the worst happened to Everton. Then, then they'd appeal. So I, I, I don't personally see any problems this season um, if people are concerned. And and the Premier League, if you, if you take a look at the Premier League constitution, it's it's suitably loose with its words to say that um, the the tariff of 
punishments. This, and remember, they might, the club might not even be charged. The club is adamant that it's well within the limits. But the, but the the tariff of charges verges from everything from a you know, a sigh and a tut tut to um, you know, a wage cap. And then, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, it could be a fine or a point deduction. So, that, so that it, it is something which is conceptually there, but from a practical point of view, I consider it to be highly unlikely. And of course, there is another problem for Everton, Kieran, isn't it? One of their big financial backers, the man who bought the naming rights to the training ground, uh, is on the sanctions list. That's not going to help, is it? That's right. And uh, speaking to some people who've been talking to the club, um, so yeah, I've been asking, what, what, what exactly is the score there? Is it, is it all dead uh, with regards to the relationship between the club and Miss Usmanov? And uh, these, uh, th- these, these journalists said, well, the, the club seemed to say the relationship is suspended rather than terminated. So um, we'll we'll have to wait and see, uh, yeah, because he he has spoken about uh, taking up this naming rights option uh, mm. for the new stadium, uh, and you know it, it's going to be it's going to be an expensive piece of work to to put together. So recouping as much money as quickly as possible in relation to that will be of uh, paramount uh, concern for the club, I'm sure. But you know, they they say that uh, they're, they're they're safe from. Price rises in in materials and labour. Um, they, they they seem to think they've got a, a fixed price deal um, of sorts. So so we'll wait and see. But yeah, but not not great. Not great. I mean, to, to lose over a hundred million a quid for three years on the trot, um, and uh, you know, Chelsea and Manchester City critics will say, well, they did the same, but they, but they won trophies as well. Yeah, you know, Everton are, are in a relegation fight. Mm. So, yeah, there is a significant difference, I think, in terms of the the success in terms of how the money's been spent. And, and I presume the other problem for football clubs at the moment, Kieran, is the same as it is for 80% of the population. Their utility bills are going to be going through the roof in the next three or four months, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we're, we're, today is April the 2nd and uh, li- living where I do in Sussex, uh, which is quite high, uh, yesterday was the first day of the the, the new tariffs and we had snow here because I actually said to the Baroness, well, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, we're down south, it's spring, you know, we, we won't need the heating for the next six months and by 11 o'clock it was bloody blizzard. Well, presumably down there, you just throw a few extra cedar logs on the fire, don't you? And, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh. Bank- I've always imagined your house to have one of those big banks of logs either side of the old front door that Finley sits on, looking proud and barking at postmen. <laughs> um, now, another news story: we we do quite often uh, talk about stains on this show, Kieran, but normally before and after we actually record the pod. <laughs> um, but this is bad news for Stains Town fan. I'm not entirely sure. While this has happened, well, they've temporarily suspended all of its operations, including competitive fixtures, and it's the it's the club that have made that decision, isn't it? Yes, uh, this this was an announcement um, from the club, which was sort of one of those drop your bacon sandwich moments when when you read the press release. Mm. Um, the uh, Staines Town uh, have made accusations against um, an, an organisation, a sort of a an investment fund called Downing LLP, who it refers to as its landlord, but I don't think that it is its landlord. I think the landlord is the Thames Club, and uh, yeah, in in a fairly uh, emotional um, 
press release on, on the website, it, it accused uh, Downing of being involved and, I quote, um, and tick these off, emotional crimes, price fixing, deforestation, we, we've got a gadget for that if, if they are, uh, <laughs> forced, forced evictions, human rights abuses, child labour, slavery, gender discrimination, murder, Crikey. fraud, and breaching Russian sanctions. Now, even Uncle Terry would say that's a charge sheet and a half, and, yeah. and he's had a few in his time. So um, this uh, th- this was very unusual. And um, there was, of course, uh, a response from the uh, Downing LLP Investment Fund, who said uh, this is all an attempt by people at the club to deflect from the mismanagement um, in respect of the owner. Um, the FA has said it notes the events at Stainstown. So they, they were supposed to be playing today. They are presently bottom of the Isthmian Southern Central League, mm. having already conceded 106 goals this season, which which sort of takes me back. You know, you, we both played Sunday League football, Kevin, and you, know, you, 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 there was always a team in your division that had conceded 106 goals, normally by sort of early to mid-February. So sustains are doing quite well there. Um, and, and they have had a poor season. The club is losing money, uh, and it's been, uh, it's been dependent upon directors' loans. It doesn't own the ground. I think there's been an ongoing issue with regards to the playing facilities for some time. Uh, I, I must admit, I, I, I was so intrigued by this story. I've, I've not really done much of the backstory uh, uh, research as date, but it's it, it's uh, an incredible piece. You know, and the fact that you know, a club in you know stage six, stage seven, seven step, step seven of, of football is coming out with this. And of course, then it becomes viral on Twitter and people are just going, what on earth is, is going on? Um, so yeah, there, there's clearly, um, I, I think the polite way to say is, um, a bit of a, bit of a dispute between the parties. Mm. I, I would make a joke at this point, Kieran, and say that my Sunday league team, Venn Street, was one of those teams that conceded a lot of goals, but, uh, the two centre-backs of that team, uh, still listen to this pod and they would be <laughs> furious because they prided themselves on the, the tightness of the defence. It was, they will tell you it was up front we had problems, um, I still haven't got the heart to tell one of them that the only reason he was captain is because his mum had the biggest washing machine, but there you go. Um, <laughs> t- two, is- two issues, sorry, Roy. Two issues on this, Kieran. First of all, who, you, you, you said you didn't think Downing were the technical landlords. Did I hear that right? That, that's right. Um, I, I think um, it, certainly as far as Downing are concerned, they, they don't believe themselves to be landlord. There is somebody called Thames Club, and, and I think Downing had, sort of were involved in some uh, you know, in, in some method of you know linking the landlord to the tenant. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's it's just it, it is just very bizarre um, to put so, it mildly. So essentially, what Stainstown are saying is, rather than be associated with these dreadful, dreadful people who have committed these crimes, they would rather not play football and would rather suspend the club than carry on taking money from this group. Is that, have I got that correct? Yeah, yeah, that right. appears to be the case. Right. Uh, I mean, the it, it does seem quite tenuous. Mm. Um, the uh, you know, if if you've got evidence of things of you know, the, 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 these are very serious allegations. You would think that they would take them to the appropriate authorities um, and and back them up with evidence, as opposed to stop playing football matches, which which just seems to be a bit of an inconsistency. I, I'm not I'm not 
quite sure you know why of the logic of the link in in the actions of Stainstown if they if they can evidence these uh, these accusations well this is obviously a story we'll keep following but you would imagine that their, their first port of call would be the police and then the second call would be the FA but um, we'll see how that goes. It is questions time. Uh, questions. Well, it is questions time actually, Kieran, because it's questions day, and we've done news stories. Um, and our first question comes from Ian Blackaby, um, and Ian's talking about something we have discussed on and off for a while now. Uh, Ian says, following up on your coverage of the QPR training ground bond issue last year, you will remember Kieran at our live show two weeks ago. Uh, we heard from Wimbledon. Uh, their financial control about their bond scheme. It's very interesting. Uh, Ian Blackley wants you to shed some light on the status of the shares that were issued when Chris Wright floated the club on the AIM market back in the 96-97 season. Ian says, I was still getting annual reports for my shares in the mail until a few years ago, but nothing more recently. Were the shares simply watered down over time to a tiny fraction of their original value, or is the position worse than that? Um, right uh, again, going into the the backstory for people not familiar with this, Chris Wright is perhaps more famous as for being the head of Chrysalis Records, mm. uh, which was a which was a very successful record label, um, and he had the idea of merging Queens Park Rangers with Wasps Rugby Club. Yeah, um, and he did this by setting up both. Uh, clubs as subsidiaries of a company called Loftus Road PLC. And he even floated that on the stock exchange, AIM, the, the alternative investment market, as as Ian refers to. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the finances of Loftus Road PLC weren't, weren't great. Um, they were paying wages, uh, I believe wages at £130 for every £100 that were coming in. Uh, so you're making substantial losses, and probably to nobody's great surprise, um, Loftus Road PLC went into administration in 2001. Now, when, when a company goes into administration, it stops producing accounts. Right. So this this might be why um, Ian's not received any accounts. And then a, a new company was was set up, which bought the assets of Loftus Road PLC. Um, and the shareholders of that company will now receive um, uh, annual reports. But um, from Ian's point of view, he will not be a shareholder. So what will have happened is that um, Loftus Road PLC would have gone into administration, then it would have gone into liquidation, and there would have been a payout for um, anybody who had anything left as far as the queue was concerned. And the way that the queue works is that uh, if you've got any mortgage holders, they get their money first. The administrators, they get their money even before first. Um, Then uh, the money goes to the unsecured creditors. And if there is a full dividend to to those people, then money would have gone to the, um, the shareholders of um, Loftus Road PLC. Now it, it looks as if, uh, and, and gathering from the losses that were made, that there would have been nothing available for shareholders. So I think it's fair to say that uh, if Ian does have shares in Loftus Road PLC, um, those shares are worthless. Right. Now our next question, Kieran, comes from Paul Anderson, and um, Paul Anderson is a Brighton fan. Um, I, I've kept the question in, Kieran, as an illustration of the fact that I'm a big man. Um, but Paul Anderson, the Brighton fan, wants to know whether it's right in any circumstances to bet on your opponents, even when 
They're seven to one. Um, Paul Anderson says, when Brighton first went into lockdown and fans couldn't uh, return, clubs and supporters did all sorts of things with season ticket money that had already been paid. At Brighton, and I suspect other Premier League clubs, we were able to put our money into the Albion as One fund, uh, which I think players also donated some money to after criticism of footballers for not funding the NHS. Again, something we spoke about very recently, Matt Hancock throwing that dead cat onto the table. Mm. Um, Paul says, I don't think the money went into a charitable organisation. It was administered by the club. Whilst I am totally confident that Brighton did the right thing, are you, Paul? Are you? They're totally confident that Brighton did the right thing with the money. Will there be any openness about how much went into the fund, where it came from, and how it was spent? And is that something that will be in the club's accounts? Right. Um, as far as this money was concerned, and uh, it was £375,000 that was raised in total, um, this money was, was effectively transferred to and administered by um, Albion in the Community, which is the, the club's community project arm, right. which itself is uh, you know, under the auspices of you – know, it's, it's a charitable organisation, and therefore it is monitored by the Charities Commission. Um, so that's so, that's your that's the foundation basically. The that's Brighton the foundation. foundation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, so all of that money um, can be linked to uh, individual projects, and if Paul goes to to onto the website, there will be a list of uh, the, the organisations. They were um, there, there were some interesting ones. There was Chomp, which was a local food charity, um, and, and you know the club and the, the foundation, they were getting lots of people saying, well, yeah, we've got a good idea, we've got to and, and the trouble is you've got lots of people who are saying, we've got you know, my mates doing this, that, and the other. You've got to go through due process because yes, the Charities Commission does yeah, monitor things. Of course. So there were things such as, uh, I, I know this was quite big in Brighton, there was cabs for jabs because when the vaccination scheme started there were elderly people there were people who had other issues who couldn't get to the vaccination centers yeah so so what they did was that they funded taxis to go to the houses of people who were sheltering vulnerable old unable to travel using uh, other means didn't have the resources to do so um and and they took them to to the uh vaccination centers and they and they took them back so this this was good a it increased the number of people getting vaccinated b taxi drivers didn't have any money yeah during lockdown. yeah yeah of course so so you know there was there were some quite innovative schemes uh involved um but if, if paul does go to the club website it is all laid out um as to you know all of the the different bodies to whom uh, money was donated and distributed. Now they've, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at them. They, they've listed them out. They've not put the numbers for individual charities, and this is simply to to stop people say, well, you know, my charity got ten grand. Why yeah. did yours get fifteen? Yeah, you know, the important thing yeah, was yeah. that yeah, you know, a, a value decision was made at the time by the trustees, um, and and the money all has been distributed, so it won't go through the club accounts because it went into effectively a separate bank account. The money was transferred, and then it went into the the charitable the foundation. Hmm. Yeah, the other good thing about things like cabs for jabs is that for a lot of old people, that taxi driver would be the first person they'd spoken to for quite some time. Yeah, as well, which is a, or, or more likely listen to or listen to. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably both of them sitting in the cab and going, "For the love of God, will you shut up?" Um, what's important about Paul's uh, question is that, of course, I knew the answer would be as you as you said, there would be complete openness. But it just illustrates that Brighton are one of 92 other clubs and more uh, across English football that did the right thing uh, at the time. Um, 
I'm on about to say, though, Kieran, that you mentioned that charity called Chomp. Um, I'm on about to say that if, if Chomp goes wrong, would they then be Wonky Chomp? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Not many don't get many opportunities to throw that reference in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Emlyn Riley has a question that I, comes up virtually any time I go into a pub or go to a football game. Somebody will ask me this question, and I'm sure you get asked it all the time. Uh, it's an indication of how seriously people take business ownership models in English football. Emlyn Riley's question is simply, are there any examples of clubs that are using unique financial models to climb the divisions without millionaire owners? Or are the structures of the league and the financial pressures simply too difficult for unique business models to develop? Um, I, I think that there are, we are seeing different things. Um, we did have Peter McCormick on the show a few oh, weeks yes. ago with regards to Bedford. Now, yeah, that's an ongoing story. Um, and yes, and uh, I, I, will, I will simply say to people, follow it up. Um, but uh, I, I think we, we have had some clubs that have taken approaches. So Brentford are currently in the Premier League. They are the 50th, 50th team in the Premier League. And one of the things that Brentford decided to do was to get rid of their academy um, and yeah. instead to uh, use a combination of uh, data analytics and uh, setting up a B team. And, and, and the purpose of a B team is that they, they, don't, they don't have kids at the ages of 8, 9, 10, 11 and so on. Um, because I think the the view taken by Brentford was that if any of those kids turned out to be any good, given that they're in London, they, there's so many scouts from other clubs, they simply get snaffled. But what, what Brentford have done is that they've taken the, the people that have been released at the ages of 16 and 17 by the bigger clubs in London, mm. and they've tried to get, get those people into a squad who then goes and plays a, a series of, of friendlies, lots of these matches on the continent um, and so on, to, to get experience with a view to getting them into a either into the first team or into a position whereby they could go out and be sold. So, so that's one model, which I'd say has worked. Um, we do have fan-owned uh, clubs who have taken what or t- have taken what can only be described as a break-even model. Um, and, and why is that unique? Well, if you t- yeah, we've just been talking about Everton losing you know, 300 or 300 odd million in three years. Yeah, to have to have this this concept of football um, of let's make the club community based and sustainable by not spending beyond its means is pretty unique. Uh, if if you, if because if you compare that to all of the common narrative, uh, I, I, it's uh, for, for, there's been many football clubs who publish their accounts uh, on the 31st of March because it's they have to do that nine months after their year end. Most clubs have a 30th of June year end. So I've I've spent most of the last 48 hours uh, when I'm not uh, when I'm not blowing my nose and, and uh, stuffing myself full of uh, uh, paracetamol. Um, just going through, adding to the spreadsheet, and then getting phoned up by journalists to say, "Well, I've just seen that you've you've tweeted that our local club has lost so much money. Um, how much money can we spend in the next transfer window?" That, yeah, and that, that yeah. was the the most common question. So, well, hold on, yeah, the club's losing money. How much can we spend? And that's and and that is the narrative. So there are some clubs who say, "Well, actually, we're not. It's not how much money we can spend in the transfer market. It's." How can we set ourselves a sustainable budget? So, so that's fairly unique. Um, I think there's also some clubs that have gone down the sort of can we generate more money on non-match days 
Um, so you know, we, we've you know historically we've done Bolton with the hotel at Bolton. Yeah. I know at Tranmere they're they're trying they're sort of trying to develop sort of fan areas which are open on a set, you know seven days a week um, and so on and and building up relationships um, as as uh, a, a community club and so on. So so that there, there are different models from the sort of the traditional ones, but. Um, are they in the Premier League? Well, well Brentford are, but yeah. it, it, it's tough. Yeah. Um, try not to blow your nose on the spreadsheet, Kieran, won't you? So it would be, <laughs> it would get difficult. I mean, you, you took the words out of my mouth. The, the problem is, of course, that uh, Emily's question was about climbing the divisions, and you've already always said that League One is probably the, the peak uh, of the ambition for a fan-owned club. Um, and as you say, Brentford are not going to be winning the Premier League anytime soon. So essentially be, being owned by a country or a billionaire is pretty much the only way you're going to win the mm. title, isn't it? So yeah. um, this is a specific question about something I must admit I wasn't aware was going on, Kieran, which doesn't necessarily narrow anything down on this pod, to be perfectly honest. But Lloyd Reddin uh, says, can you elaborate on the case of the administrators who are being ordered to pay compensation to Rangers? Does the money have to come out of their own pockets? Where will the money go? Um, why are they having to pay it? Right. Well, well, first of all, I want to say that there are people that know a thousand times more about this than I do. Um, and that's probably 99% of the city of Glasgow. <laughs> because whenever you mention rangers and administration or liquidation, um, then then uh, social media becomes very, very irate uh, with, with people who either support rangers or Celtic. Um, so, but to to go back into history, Rangers went into administration. Um, it, there was a uh, a company called Duff and Phelps, um, which uh, was the administrators. Um, there were charges made. Um, there, there were allegations made. the The administrators themselves uh, defended themselves, and and they. They ended up um, with a claim of twenty-one million pounds uh, for for the, the way that they were being treated um, and being prosecuted in, in terms of lost earnings. They said they suffered from loss of reputation. At the same time, if you think that the way to think of administrators, administrators is a bit like uh, ICU at a hospital. It's right. you know, it, it's an, it, think of the administrators as the intensive care unit. The aim is to to try to get the get the patient into a stronger position and then sell the company um, on. Um, liquidators are the the undertakers of a company. Oh, you right. know, once once a company has gone out, once you have sold the assets of the club in administration to somebody else, there's still something to clear up, and that's what the liquidators do. Well. The liquidators said, in in their view, the administrators could have controlled costs to a a greater degree, and therefore they tried to sue the um, they sued the administrators, and they were awarded three point four million pounds. So that may or may not go to appeal. I'm you know, I'm I've sort of I've googled and um, sort of looked at things on social media. Uh, I think there 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 is a show to be done on this, but I think that show is best done by somebody who has an has a closer investment in this than we are. Yeah, we, we we try to cover you know, one hundred and fifty to two hundred clubs in in the whole of the UK. Um, this this is a, an issue of such uh, forensic uh, detail 
And there's, there's, a, there's a couple of fantastic websites which go through things literally on a day-by-day basis in terms of various tax cases and so on. So, so the long and the short of it is that um, the, the administrators were uh, successful in respect of what was some form of malicious uh, prosecution on them. And the liquidators appear to have been had some success with regards to a claim against the um to claim against the administrators. Now, where will that money go to? The purpose of the liquidators is to to gather as much money together as they can and then distribute that money to the creditors of the company, which was originally administration, now liquidation and so on. So basically what you're saying is, Kieran, we're okay as a pod if you want detail, but if you want forensic detail, you need Swiss Ramble. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. I I accept that. I'm quite pleased that we do detail. Excuse me. Quentin Solden has a question. There's another question that people ask, uh, often slightly cynically. Uh, Quentin says, how can the new owners of Newcastle, or any club for that matter, get around splashing lavish amounts of cash on an improved squad without contravening FFP rules? Okay. Um, As we know, Mike Ashley, not, not the most popular man, in the northeast, uh, as far as Newcastle fans are concerned, um, the accusations that were made at him was that he he didn't invest in the club. He he certainly spent very little on infrastructure. Um, the the spending in terms of transfers was was modest, um, and therefore, based on my calculations, um, Newcastle had a financial fair play profit of around about a hundred million pounds. When, when the club was sold to PIF. Now, as we've established earlier today, you're allowed to lose 105 million. So this means that the new owners have wiggle room. You can go from plus 100 to minus 105. So that allows you to spend a lot of money in the transfer market. And remember, if uh, yeah, for, thanks to our friend amortization, if you sign a player for 50 million pounds on a, on a five-year contract, then the cost for FFP purposes is 50 million divided by five. It's only 10 million a year. Mm. So this this is why Newcastle have, in theory, um, and, and I think you know, a, a few a few of us, in, including Swiss Ramble, um, have uh, have done some calculations on this. You know, could could Newcastle spend five or six hundred million pounds in the transfer market and stay within the limits of FFP? Um, the answer would appear to be yes. And uh, yeah, this is the paradox. Part of that is thanks to Mike Ashley because he actually left the club. Um, with with an inheritance in the sense that it allowing the new owners to spend significant sums. So that's very interesting. So Mike Ashley's reluctance to spend money, would this have been something that the new owners would have looked into and investigated and said, hang on a second here, this, this is not a loophole because it's quite clearly open and obvious to anybody. But is this something they would have taken into consideration? They've gone, hang on a second, we've got, we've got the ability to spend big here without getting into trouble. Well, yeah, yeah, they they will they will have done due diligence. They they will have um, they will have received copies of the most recent PNS calculations, and uh, yeah, presuming that yeah that the people advising them um, are uh, yeah familiar with the rules, then they'd say, well, this allows us to spend first of all on wages, but be in terms of transfer fees, substantial amounts of money. Um, yeah, we've already seen that that Newcastle United they they spent one third of the total. Of the Premier League in the in the January 2022 uh, 
window and they're in a very strong position to spend money. There's two ways of spending money. A, can you spend it if physically in the sense of do you have the cash there? Well, yeah, we, we know that the PIF um, owners um, do have those, those funds. And secondly, can you stay within the FFP limits? Well, again, there's a big tick as far as Newcastle um, are, are concerned in relation to that. So they have the opportunity to spend. They have the capacity to spend. Do they have the willingness to spend? Well, that's what we'll find out this summer. Well, do you know what? If I was Mike Ashley, I'd be demanding a lap of honour and the keys to the city and an apology from 60,000 people and an open top bus ride around the, <laughs> around the whole of the road. Um, speaking of which, I didn't, I haven't told you this, Kieran. I th- thought I'd save it for a public moment. That the uh, the landlord of the Porsons Arms has done something which is either the most perspicacious business deal of the century or the most optimistic thing I've ever heard. He's hired Croydon's only two open top buses. Has he? Yeah. Is is this for the day after Wembley? He's got got him first. Just in case we win the FA Cup and the club are going to have to pay him a fortune to (laughs) have one of the open top buses or cut the top of a double-decker bus, one or the other. Um, (laughs) Gordon Gall has a question. And Gordon says that clubs in League 1 and 2 receive solidarity payments from the Premier League, but far less than what the Championship clubs receive. Again, a topic we've been talking about a lot recently. Would it be advantageous, therefore, says Gordon, for League One and League Two clubs to pull this money together and reorganise into a new North-South Tier 3 to spread the money evenly across the 48 clubs? I don't know about necessarily having a regional Tier 3 because most clubs at that level are against it, but would it be advantageous for them to, to pull that money together and split it? I'm I'm not sure about that. Um, again, for those people unfamiliar, solidarity payments um, are a share of the Premier League TV money, which is given to clubs in the EFL. And, and it's it's linked uh, in perpetuity to future TV deals. So if, if the Premier League has successful negotiations, yes, the Premier League clubs will do very well, but the, uh, the EFL will get a share of that. Now, the, the way that the money is distributed at present um, – is that clubs in the championship get 80% of that. So it works out as around about £4.5 million per club. And, and to put that into some form of context, they get around £2.5 million from the EFL's own TV deal. So, so the Premier League is, is actually paying substantially more than the EFL is generating from its own TV deal. Um, 12% goes to clubs in League One. So that's around about six hundred and seventy-five grand, seven hundred grand, and um, 8% goes to clubs in League Two. I think what Gordon's suggesting is to split the difference between those last two payments and both get around about 570, 580. So yeah, we're talking about 120 grand more for, for 24 clubs and 125 grand less as clubs. It's it's not really going to make any difference. Um when clubs do get promoted from League Two to League One, the wage bills do go up. So therefore, you'd expect the income to go up. And again, no disrespect to clubs in League Two, because I'll, I'll you know, you and I are both the same, Kevin. We'll go and watch any match in any division. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think there's plenty of other fans that will do the same. But yeah, you know, we, we've said a lot recently. If, if you take a look at League One at present, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday, Sunderland, yeah. Portsmouth, Charlton, yeah. Ipswich. Ipswich yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's some really big hitters in that division, with uh, which also generate. 
decent audiences from from a TV point of view. You've only got to look at the iFollow sales of some of those clubs as well. Um, so, um, you know, I don't think anybody uh, objects to clubs in higher divisions earning more from TV because because they generate more traction as far as the the viewership is concerned. Mm. Uh, next question comes from Gary Porter. Uh, it's an interesting one. Gary Porter says that Everton and Leeds have somewhat surprisingly opened retail outlets side-by-side in Belfast City Centre. Do these clubs have any links in their retail arms? And has anything similar happened elsewhere? And then says they'll hardly make millions. Uh, well, his his final sentence uh, is quite prophetic, as we will see. Um, what Leeds and Everton decided to do was to uh, to pick up half of a store each, uh-huh. which was vacated by Rangers, who we've just been talking about in, in Belfast. Um, now, in terms of the relationships, the Leeds store, it was effectively being operated by JD Sports, and Everton's store was being operated by Fanatics. So bo- both of those uh, organisations are independent. Uh, Fanatics is sort of a, uh, a merchandise uh, company, which I think is based in the US. Yeah. Um, and... These were opened with big fanfare. You know, both clubs saying, you know, we're fully aware that we've got fan bases um, in in Northern Ireland. We want to be able to reach out to the fans to get them, uh, you know, give them an opportunity to to acquire more merchandise, make it easier for them, and so on. Um, so, so both of these stores were effectively opened in November 2021. In February 2022, both of them went on the market. Oh, right. so it's okay. it's it's simply not not been. Um, uh, it's not been as successful as as the clubs had hoped for. Um, I understand it is a ten year lease that has been signed, and um, that's uh, it, it's it's yeah, not, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But uh, I, I think the uh, the level of interest has not been as high as either institution had hoped. Well, especially in these days of uh, Amazon and various other you know, parcel delivery services, and also I, I find from personal experience that most fans if they want to go to a club shop they will wait till they go to the club they'd much mm. rather you know a lot of those northern irish fans will will save up and have maybe some of them will be season ticket holders and going every week but some of them will be going once a season as a treat maybe and then the first place they'll go to is the club shop it's much more exciting to be in a club shop on club day than just another shop in a, in a retail center really so it's an interesting one so you think they just overestimated the amount of support they had in in northern ireland yeah, or either, or either that, or as you say, um, you know, if opening a store in November. Yeah, uh, yeah most, most most people already bought their their kits for the season. That's true. You know, you, when, yeah. when when do you buy? Yeah, yeah, okay. Chris, Christmas is a market, but it's not that huge a market unless you are, you know, a huge club. And this is no disrespect because you know Leeds and Everton are both fantastic clubs with fantastic committed. Uh, fan bases, but when I think of Everton, you know, you know so, somebody that's that's worked in Liverpool for most of my working life, um, it, I always associate Everton as the people's club of L four, mm. and you know, it, it's it's got a local fan base. Um, are there Liverpool, are there Everton fans in Northern Ireland? Absolutely, um, it's the same with Leeds. You know, Leeds Leeds is a you know, it, it is that one city club. Yes, Leeds has got huge support. From a legacy point of view, from from the glory years going back, but it tends to be quite sporadic compared to 
we know that Manchester United and Liverpool, especially in Ireland, are incredibly popular. And you factor in Rangers and Celtic as well as being very popular in Northern Ireland. You know, it means that clubs such as Everton and Leeds are are fighting over a pretty pretty small population of prospective fans uh, in order to get interest. Yeah, don't let Newcastle fans hear you say that there's another city with only one club in it, like Leeds, because that doesn't fit into their narrative. I think there's about 24 cities in town with only one club in it, but that's for another pod. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Patrick Fullerton says, you've spoken in the past about multiple club ownership models like Man City's and also how players can typically get an increased wage when they move for a free transfer. Could you, in theory, purchase a lower league or cheap foreign team with the idea of snapping up top players on free transfers on the grounds of then having complete control over their loan deals, allowing them to decide where they want to go and how long for? Um, I think this is one of these things which... Looks good in theory, but why would a player, even even a player on a Bosman, um, want to go to a second or third tier team in in Belgium, and then not know where they're going to be playing for the next twelve months because they're going to be st- stuck out on loan? So I'm I'm I from a, from a financial point of view, from a theoretical point of view, uh, it looks okay, and I think it would work really well, perhaps on a, on on football manager but if, if if I was a football player and I was a good football player who'd, who'd stuck out you know we've got the likes of Paul Pogba uh, you know awaiting his contract to expire at Manchester United this this summer well well Paul Pogba wants degree of certainty you know he's only he's still only uh, yeah, what, 28 yeah um, he will want a five-year contract and also, I suspect he will want to live in a city such as Madrid or Paris or London or Turin, um, as opposed to going to um, a, a lower tier club and then be loaned out purely to make money for 
another club. You know, the great thing from Paul Pogba's point of view and for you know, Kylian Mbappe's point of view is that they are very much in control of their destiny. And um, you know, in terms of, of Patrick's suggestion, that control would effectively be passed back to, to another club. Mm. Now, at the live show, Kieran, uh, what, 10 days ago now? Doesn't time fly? Um, we had 250 people, and I think 230 of them probably put questions into our bucket. Yes, uh, that, that makes it sound slightly less glamorous than it was. It was. It wasn't. It was a modified bucket. Let's put it that way. Um, but to to placate the angry crowds, Kieran, we had to say that we would ask some of these questions on future pods, which is what we intend to do. So, the final questions on this week's show come from people who put questions in the bucket, and we didn't get round to them. And the first one. Uh, is Chris Green, um, and this probably would have been a nicer question to ask you to your face, Kieran. <laughs> yes, I wonder why. <laughs> I'm guessing. Um, uh, I think Chris sounds like the sort of bloke who would have marched up the front to do so as well. Uh, Chris says, given the altruistic nature of Port Vale's owners to bring success and growth to the community via football, which is something we talked about uh, just a couple of pods back, is there any real enjoyment, Kieran? Is there any real enjoyment? to be had for the achievements of the likes of Brentford and Brighton and Stoke, given their reliance on gambling for financial backing? I think, I think it's uh, it's an interesting question from Chris. Mm. I, I, I support I started supporting Brighton in the 1970s. So, you know, when you start supporting a club, you, you accept, especially, and we've, we've had this conversation on more than one occasion. Um, you know, you know, it's a lifelong commitment um, and you, you take the slings and arrows. So, yeah, I've had all four divisions. I've done 117 grounds watching us normally be pretty rubbish. Um, but that's never been the point. The the um the enjoyment from the from the achievements, yeah, because I've I I like you. Yeah, you know, we've we've done the marches, we've done the petitions, we've we've done the pleading. Um we've we even had a song in the top twenty uh as part of our campaign to get us a new ground. Mm. And would that have been achieved without the wealth of Tony Bloom? Um, I, I, I don't know. It's a simple answer. I think there, there were there were attempts to put money together, but we we we, we were the first to admit that uh, that our owner has has funded the club uh, with uh, huge amounts of generosity. Would have he had a club in which he could have invested all of his money had it not been for the efforts of you know, and and the people who know you know, the people that you know and I know who stood up for Palace, who stood up for Brighton, who are standing up for Rochdale at present and Oldham and all of these other clubs. No, he wouldn't. So it's it's a collaborative effort. Yes, yes, there are people of incredible generosity, such as the Coates family, Matthew Benham, Tony Bloom, who have made money from the gambling industry. Absolutely. But is it is is it yeah you know, once you start to go into the depths of individual clubs and trying to find out where their owners made their money from is it any better be- that your owner was a hedge fund manager or a petrochemicals uh, superstar or whatever as opposed to gambling that's that that's i think down to people's own moral judgments yeah we've already we've already spoken i have placed a i've placed a bet on t- on today's match Shame. now i'm i'm not Shame. opposed to gambling yeah. i'm not very keen on the excesses of the way that the gambling industry operates and some of its business practices i consider to be very reprehensible and that's why we've had people on the club on people on the show to 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 articulate that and that's also why we've turned money down uh, as far as this show is concerned, both from for, both from sponsorship um, and opportunities to buy out the show, it's just that 
where where you as an individual decide to put your line in the sand is down to you. I, I don't support Brighton over Albion because we, we're in the Premier League and we've got a, a nice fluffy stadium. I'd do it because it's, it's my life, same as yours. Yeah, I, how well I remember that that weekend when we were offered a huge amount of money by a gambling site to, to sponsor us and how we discussed it and how bitterly I resented the fact that I was outvoted two to one. Because <laughs> I, <would, laughs> I would have taken it, Kieran. That's not true. Um, I tell you, Kieran, without whom success for your club would not have been achieved, who very rarely gets any thanks, and that's me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, no. The the the, re- the reason why why I I was so keen to approach you to come on this show for people that don't remember uh, or aren't familiar when Brighton were were on life support, um, we were doing all types of things to. Uh, try to raise money and I remember Kevin as a Palace fan doing a doing a gig um to raise money to, to help us to survive and, and I've never forgotten that and I'll be honest that was one of the reasons why I was so keen to approach you to come on the show to, to host the show because I've had huge admiration for you from afar for over two decades yeah I, well thank you Kieran I've, I've never forgotten it either because uh, you still haven't paid my train fare the one person I'll do it if you pay the train yeah of course always nice to have a night in Brighton uh, especially after being half shouted at and half applauded by 300 confused Brighton fans who really didn't didn't know how to respond to the fact that this twat from Palace was doing it for nothing for them Um, our penultimate question is our second question from the live show and it comes from Josh Ayres Uh, and it's one of those questions where initially I think oh I know the answer to this question and then I think about it, I'm so, I don't know if I do, given my background in broadcasting. Uh, but Josh Ayres' question is, who pays for the camera crews at Premier League games? And is the same footage shown by all broadcasters? Um, right. I, I think as far as Sky is concerned, um, they they do the vast majority of the work themselves. They, they will outsource uh, perhaps some of the, the matches um, probably at EFL level, so not so at Premier League level. You know, Sky have paid so much money for the rights; they want complete control. Um, so, therefore, you know, it, it will be their staff. Um, you know, they, they will have direct links to the uh, to, to to Jeff Stelling, who is great news is is carrying on. Yeah. Um, and is the same footage shown by all broadcasters? As far as I'm aware, it is. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the it's, it's the uh, director or producer at each each ground is is making those cuts, making those decisions. And remember, um, these matches are going out live. Yeah, you know, whilst we we only we only get a hundred and sorry, we only get two hundred out of the three hundred and eighty matches um, shown uh, live on terrestrial sorry, on on satellite television here in the UK. Uh, for most of the international markets, every single match is going out live, and those feeds are are determined um, by by Sky, who 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 then sell the rights to, or rather rather sort of are delegated to distribute the rights via the Premier League to the individual broadcasters overseas. Yeah, everyone gets the same coverage. The difficulty for for Sky uh, is Saturdays like this, which are unusual. There's seven games today. Uh, there's only so many camera crew in the country, um, which is why if you're a young person listening to this and you're thinking about being an accountant or a comedian or an archaeologist, don't. Become a cameraman. You'll, <laughs> you'll never be without work. Get yourself a little shoulder camera. Uh, and also, apparently, they are catnip to women. All, all cameramen think they are the most attractive people in the country. They think they're like Grand Prix drivers because they've got a camera on their shoulder. It's just sickening. 
Uh, so if it wasn't for them, North Face would have been out of business years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, our final question. Uh, now, this is an interesting one because we've talked about this quite a lot recently, uh, especially since we had Millwall's chief executive on the show uh, talking about a Premier League 2, or at the very least branding the championship as a Premier League 2. And Dale Savage asks, is there really commercial value in a Premier League 2 apart from being free of the EFL? Um, I, I think it's it's an interesting one to investigate further. Um, will ultimately the uh, the eyeballs be focused on Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea and so on? Absolutely. Well, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. But um, I think the, the potential benefits of Premier League 2 is that it would involve a more equitable distribution model of of money and yeah we've been talking about clubs losing money but why are they losing money the the clubs in the top half of the championship uh, or some of the clubs because you know we know that likes of Coventry and Luton have done fantastically well this season um they they've got an incentive to overspend and the incentive to overspend is that their tv money goes from 7 million pounds to 100 million pounds why have the clubs at the bottom of the Premier League got an incentive to overspend? Because they know that their TV money goes from £100 million to, to £40 million with parachute payments and then down to £7 million within three years. So if we could have a, uh, a top two divisions where there is greater fluidity uh, in terms of the finances, then the incentive to overspend would uh, diminish and uh, some of the, the eye-watering numbers that we've seen reported uh, over the course of the last couple of months probably um, wouldn't be there because if you get relegated, yes, it's not as good, but it is, you know, it is catastrophic, uh, especially if, if parachute payments don't exist um, under, under the present model system. The downside is that you know would it be a closed shop of 44 or 40 clubs or whatever it's going to be where does it leave those clubs that we've just been talking about in league 1 such as Sheffield Wednesday Sunderland Ipswich Wigan Charlton Pompey and so on um if uh, because if if they all of the money's concentrated in the top two divisions then the big cliff edge starts between the bottom of PL2 and the start of uh, yeah, what is presently League One? So, uh, I've I've spent ridiculous numbers of hours spreadsheeting, advising people who I can't mention about you know how you know, if we did this, what are the implications? Um, and uh, there there is no one system that works. Um, that's unfortunately the answer. Thank you to everyone who's made a donation to the pod via our Patreon site. If you'd like to join them, make a small monthly contribution to the pod. That was almost an unfortunate spoonerism. Um, A small monthly contribution (laughs) (laughs) to the pod. Uh, Always free to AirPod and go to patreon.com slash price of football. Don't think too much about it. Uh, If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, then email us, of course, at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, as always, folks, thanks for all the support you give to us. Uh, it, it is appreciated. Uh, Patreon is one method of doing that. Um, and another is to go to your app through which you download your podcasts 
And uh, if you could give us a review, it, it makes a difference, according to Producer Guy. It, uh, the more reviews you get, uh, the algorithm that's used by the likes of uh, Apple and Spotify and Google and whoever it is tends to to knock you up the table a little bit. So if you could give us five stars, only if you think we're worthy of it, of course. So yeah, we, we, we are we are appreciative. Um, you know, this is a podcast where where people of, of opposing views, you know, Crystal Palace and Brighton, we've we've come together to to try to uh, to try to uh, occupy your earwaves. Um, and, and if we can do it, you could even say, why not have it hosted by Chris Rock and Will Smith? And that that that, that again, that might bring people of opposing views together, and that could be a good thing. Yeah, I bet Chris Rock and Will Smith get their train fare paid. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the